Hello, and welcome to the Big Leads Press Pass podcast. I'm your host, Liam McEwen, and today with us, we have Dom Cosentino, a senior features writer covering the NFL for The Score. Dom, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Liam. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Of course, of course. And as always, we just start off right right off the bat here, nice and general, nice and open, Dom. Uh, how about you just walk us through your journey through sports media from when you first realized that this was, you know, what you wanted to do and how you ended up writing, you know, uh, features about the NFL for the score? Well, uh, it, it, it goes back to when I was a, a kid, really, that I, that I wanted to do this. Uh, I was nerdy enough that I actually published a newsletter out of my parents' basement on a that was printed out on a Commodore 64 computer, you know, and, and <laughs> I was cribbing a lot from the Pittsburgh Press uh, newspaper, but, uh, you know, just trying to doing takes and things like that, you know, going all the way back. And, you know, I, I, I then got involved with the student paper in high school and then, uh, you know, went to LaSalle University in Philadelphia where I studied communication and got involved with the paper and, um, you know, wrote news as well as sports. And then, didn't think I could get into the business right out of school. This is the late nineties. I thought it was going to be hard to get a job then when uh, it's like a different world now. But uh, I worked for a video conferencing company for a couple of years, but I still had the itch to do journalism and media. And uh, I started at a suburban Philadelphia newspaper covering like a standard township beat. My first story was about a dead pig. Uh, <laughs> with some farm. Where, where they had a, you know, like a, a big pig for the, the, the kids like to look at and it died. And I had to go write the story and try to talk to like a five-year-old about it. And uh, I was like, am I sure I want to do this? I remember telling my girlfriend at the time, like, I don't know if I can do this. It must be a tough um, to have with a five-year-old about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. About, about a dead pig. Yeah. Um, probably wasn't the best approach, but I was really green then. That's, uh, you know. Um, and I then jumped to another suburban paper. Again, Township Beat. I was good. Well, for a while, I did criminal courts in, in Montgomery County, Pennsylvania. Um, it was a great job. It's just that it was in a tiny paper that didn't pay much. And so when I had the opportunity to get another suburban beat job, I took that. And they had an opening on the sports page that was there for a while. Um, and a, a friend of mine was working there, too, on the sports page at the time. Mike Sealski was at the Philadelphia Inquirer. His columns for the Inquirer now mm. was at this paper. Then it was the Doylestown Intelligencer in Bucks County, Pennsylvania. And uh, so I moved over to sports after a few months and began just covering high school football and uh, track and field, basketball, field hockey, everything. And I, I stayed there for quite a while. Um, you know, I was pretty happy in the area. And, you know, I, I had a very good boss there, a guy named Jeff Biedemann, who was the sports editor at the time there. And I, I stayed for about 10 years and I, I began to write for the Bucks County Courier Times, which was a sister paper there as well. Got back into news for a bit, um, covering, you know, political campaigns, local political campaigns and that, but kept doing sports. And they, I got a chance to do college basketball in Philadelphia. You know, the Philly pro teams, I'd fill in as a kind of the backup guy to write a sidebar off a game every now and then. You know, just kind of the traditional, you know, 1990s, 2000s way of coming up through the ranks kind of thing. Uh, and then I, after that, I, I ended up, I, I was fortunate. Uh, another friend of mine was AJ Delario at Deadspin. He hired me there. It's a, it was kind of a wax on, wax on move for me, though, where I was hired as an editorial assistant. So I kind of took a step back, took a pay cut to get into online writing, really, and had a lot to learn. And I, I learned a ton. And then it went from there. I, 
Uh, I was there for two or three years and I, I learned a ton just from everybody there. And then I, I got a, an opportunity to cover the New York Jets for the New York Star Ledger, NJ.com. And uh, did that for close to three years. And then went into free, then stopped doing that for a while, began freelancing for a bit. And Ted's been brought me back. So I was there for another three years. And now I'm at the, and I was part of the group that quit last year. And now I'm at the score. So, all right. That's, cool. sort of the, that's the, the roundabout way of uh, describing it. It's been a while now. <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit. You have yeah. certainly one of the more varied backgrounds as far as the jobs that yeah. you've done before you ended up where you are that I've talked to. So, just starting from there, what did, you know, obviously it's your first, your first journalism jobs and it's kind mm -hmm. of the first time that you're really doing this after you started off working for that video conferencing company. So what did those township beats kind of teach you as a young journalist that you find you have sort of carried over to all of your other career stops? Well, the biggest one was just writing on deadline. You know, you'd, you'd go to these township meetings and they'd take three hours where they're talking about water and sewer stuff. And you're trying to, find the nugget that is newsworthy, the most newsworthy, and then you've got to race back to the office and write that in about 15 to 30 minutes. You've got to come up with like 300 words and hope that it makes sense and, and, and that the editors don't have, the night editors don't have too many questions for you. So that, that was one of the biggest things was just kind of getting that news sense, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and then being able to turn it around and write quickly. Um, and then just dealing with people, you know, because it, even on the, I think particularly on a township, kind of beat you have people who are politicians and have agendas and you're trying to you know you don't want to be you learn like maybe not to be stenographer all the time for that for people like that because they're going to bs you um you know i had an early lesson where i quote there was some controversy in the town i forget what it was even about but the town councilman um who later went on to become a state representative in pennsylvania i no doubt had those ambitions then but i he, because I used an ellipsis in a quote that he used, you know, he was, he was getting bad mouthed by somebody in the, in the audience at the town meeting. And because I used an ellipsis in something he used, he tried to claim that I misquoted him, you know, like kind of throwing me under the bus publicly to make, just to cover himself. And it, it was a le an early lesson in, you know, these people will BS people all the time. And he went on to be a state rep for like 20 years. So that tells you <laughs> a lot about uh local politics in Pennsylvania. I don't think we have time to unpack <laughs> yeah. all of that yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But those, those were you know, some of the things. And then, then particularly when I moved over to, to another one that I had that courthouse job and it was great because yeah. I was working in the courthouse and you just go down, down to buy a newspaper and coffee in the morning and there'd be defense attorneys and just people you want to talk to and you just start chatting them up and they'll tell you stuff. I mean, that, you, know, you just learn that kind of hanging around and being in the right spot also will help you get the information that you need or get, you know, develop, cultivate a source, you know, who's going to call you back and tell you something, uh, that kind of thing. So it was a lot of that I began to, I didn't really know what I was doing as I was doing it, but I began to kind of figure it out as the more I did it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And then from there, you kind of transition into the high school beat, which is a little different, mm -hmm. but it's still, you know, the same general stuff that you were talking about as far as small town, you know, people are going to be kind of on right. you. But every other writer that I've talked to talks specifically about if they have covered high school sports, like high school sports really help build the foundation for absolutely. supporting a general yeah. leader on their career. You feel the same way, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you go to a field hockey game. I know nothing about field hockey, but you, you have to kind of keep your eyes and ears open and then you know, you, the, the interview after the game might make 
more of what you're going to write about, you know, you kind of feature it. And, and not to say that I was BSing, but you're just kind of figuring out how to, how to get a story out of what, you know, the, the, the game you just saw, because you're not just going to write, they can, people can look at the box score. You can't just, you know, mm-hmm. recite who scored every goal and made every save. So you just, it, it, it's just, you got your antenna up and then you learn to talk to people and learn to get questions out and how to process that and go from there. And then again, you know, on a Friday night, you're racing back to try to, to, to beat deadline and all that. And it was, a, it was a lot of fun too. Um, you know, and that's why people have asked me, you know, why did you do that for as long as you did? And I, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, you know, it, it's neat to cover the Jets in the NFL, but I got a kick out of writing high school football and, and high school basketball too, um, just for many of the same reasons. You're watching comp- live competition. You're trying to find a story. You develop sources who, you know, tell you coach got fired or this guy's getting hired or that kind of thing. And, yeah. and it, it, the, but you're, you're right though. The foundation was laid and, and uh, it, it was a very enjoyable time for me in a lot of ways. Yeah. And you said you did that for a long time. It was about 10 years, right? You said yeah. Yeah. during that time period, I mean, obviously you ended up making the jump and it led to it, but I mean, mm-hmm. was there any sort of, I don't know, kind of like a desire to try to jump to pro at any point? Absolutely. I just didn't know how to do it. You know, you'd kind of, apply for jobs blindly and you know people don't know who you are that kind of thing I interviewed uh at a couple of places here and there but just didn't have you know I I wasn't and I'm not I'm still not the sort who's a glad hander who's going to go out and just try to begin angling for things so I just so I just kind of went at it cold and I I got frustrated I mean by the, the last couple of those years for sure I felt like I had more to offer the world of sports writing you know as trite as that sounds but uh you know that i i had bigger ambitions and uh i just didn't know how to you know crack break the glass so to speak at that time it was, it was frustrating but it, things worked out in ways that I, I really didn't expect at the time but they did so yeah definitely you know, as a part of that you know the cracking in process you decided mm-hmm. to go to deadspin and transition away from like traditional newspaper writing which from the mm-hmm. south of it is what you had done your entire career to that point into the online realm. And so that's interesting to me because pretty much everybody that I've talked to for this podcast is mostly either a much older guy who just sort of like shuffled along into the online Mm -hmm. sphere or really young. And these people like grew up with this idea of like the blogging and all that stuff. So as somebody who's like right in the middle there, why did you feel like you wanted to, you decided to even, you had said it yourself, you almost took a step back in order to enter the online realm of sports. Well, well it was a step back and I, I saw it as a step back in terms of what I'd be doing professionally. I mean, I was sort of like, I wasn't like the coffee boy, but I would, you know, I, I, I had to, I was, you know, I, I was the editorial assistant. So I wasn't, I wasn't writing much. I was kind of doing a lot of back end types of things and just kind of, you know, I, I think I did the wake up dead spin that came up, but I, Deadspin at the time, they had, you know, this was maybe six months after the Brett Favre story happened. And so they, they had really kind of captured uh, something about the industry that I liked, which was, you know, they were, they were calling BS on things. Yeah. And the, there was a lot of really good writing on the site that was very appealing. It was funny. Um, and, and to me, what they were doing felt like, the, the future, because, I, you know, even at my newspaper, I was, you know, there were cutbacks happening, pay freezes, all kinds of stuff. I didn't want to stay on that path, but I also knew that I wasn't ready to just, you know, begin editing Deadspin from day one. So I had to learn. The first six months were really kind of rough, uh, where I had a lot to learn 
Um, but I give credit to people like AJ Galerio, Emma Carmichael, Tom Skoka, uh, you know, Tommy Craggs. They were all very patient with me. Uh, Jack Dickey, you know, Jack Dickey was in college at the time. And, uh, you know, was, was one of the, one, one of the smartest people on the staff. And, it, you know, so it was, it was, it was a big learning experience. And then things kind of ha- took off when the Jerry Sandusky scandal happened at Penn state. I kind of dove into that. Like I just, just from being from Pennsylvania, yeah. I kind of had an idea of it. And we, 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 you know, I, I think I, the grand jury report came out on a Saturday. I saw people tweeting about it and I went, I went in and just kind of pulled out a bunch of the highlights and published them that night with Tommy Craggs's, uh, edits and, and, and input and we got it up late that night and it was kind of like the first place that had a a breakdown of of all of that you know up online and then we even published the document the whole thing and uh you know from there i began to get more comfortable and and it, you know so that, but that was kind of how it happened and uh you know really though it had a lot to do with, with aj kind of having a we were drinking buddies in philly back in the day and and, and uh you know but we he kind of had a faith in me that uh that, I, that i'll always be grateful for and and things went from there. So, absolutely, nobody uh, nobody nobody is immune from a helping hand in this business. Yeah. That's yeah. for sure. So when you say there was a lot for you to learn, I mean exactly what do you mean by that? Just writing, you know, a lot of the newspaper writing. It's not to say that it was all like this, but it, you know, it's very it was very who, what, when, where, why. Yeah. And you know, you're not you're doing a lot of deadline writing and even though you try to write featurey type things you know deadspin had a certain tone to it um you know i think it just the the what constituted a story there was much different than it would be would have been where i where i'd come from so just learning kind of what what to look for and 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 then how to frame it you know i was i was heavily edited the first you know for, for, for most of the time i was there and, and i had to be and it, but that, but I learned from that. You know, I I, I think that uh, anyone who's worked at Deadspin will tell you that it's a very difficult place to write for because it, they're, they're, they're and I'm talking about the old Deadspin now. Yeah. Um, for sure. I just want to be clear about that. Absolutely uh, positive. But there was, yeah, there, there was a OG Deadspin here, but you know there, there was a there was a house style kind of thing, and and, and there's humor, but what you know, and and and. I guess the people you take shots at, there's a, there's a rationale and a reason behind it instead of just firing off a take. Just a lot of, I had, so I had, I had training wheels for all of that kind of thing. Um, and it took a while, uh, you know, most of the three, I was there almost three years before I jumped to the Jets, but, uh, you know, I would say I learned every day I was there. And, you know, I'm grateful for like a lot of the people that I worked with, you know, Barry Pachetsky, Luke O'Brien back in the day, uh, just, just, it was just a, a, a hell of a crew. All, all, all the way around. Yeah, and you mentioned the Sandusky uh, project and the work that you did there. But aside from that, is there any other project that you worked on in Deadspin that particularly stands out now that you have a couple of years in the rear view there? Uh, well, I, it, on my more recent stint, when I got back, I, I wrote it quite a bit about the NFL's uh, you know, concussion issue and head trauma stuff and the concussion settlement. Um, I'm, I'm proud of some of the work I did with that for sure. And uh, I, I wouldn't say I had a, I did any kind of heavy lifting, but I was in, like, I did maybe 0.5% of the work on just some back end confirmation stuff on the Manti Teo story, mm-hmm. which was probably the greatest story I think I and everyone who was there will ever be a part of. Um, but I, I, I don't want to take any credit for that story. Yeah. I, I, you know, 99.5, 99.9% of it was done by other people. I made some confirmation phone calls just before publication, but, uh, 
that was one hell of a thing to be a part of for sure. Yeah, I can only imagine. <laughs> I mean, that's the most mind blowing story of it was uh, the century, just as far as just the sheer absurdity of it. All. Yeah, yeah, you know, to watch the the Twitter replies like rapid fire after we after Tommy Craig's press published on that thing was 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 quite a thing. And when Notre Dame finally acknowledged it about an hour later, where they put out a statement that you know essentially confirming everything we had we had done which we knew we, we knew we had it cold but uh you know when i say we i mean the people who worked on it though i want to be clear about that uh you know it was quite a feeling there was nothing like it so uh you know, i remember high-fiving spoka and, uh, and <laughs> really we were both like blown away everybody was just blown away that uh that that happened so that that was you know and i don't know that's a once in a lifetime kind of thing you know for sure yeah, for sure yeah, for sure. And then you uh, decided to leave that spin, go to the cover the Jets. What was kind of the mindset there? You know, again, uh, I had I got a call from someone there who asked someone who was working there at, at NJ.com and, and Star Ledger asked if I'd be interested. And again, it was someone else I'd known who was from my early newspaper days. Who was now there? He's actually he's actually Jordan Renan from ESPN. He's at ESPN now, uh, but he was covering the Giants then, then, and they had an opening for covering the Jets and. It, that was kind of a an, an itch I felt I needed to scratch was covering a pro beat, mm. you know, uh, because even at my old paper, being around the Eagles every now and then, I was kind of doing the backup. I was kind of the backup person in the Eagles, so I'd go there once or twice. We just the idea of kind of being in that competitive daily environment was something I felt that I I wanted to do and needed to do, and uh, I talked to them and, and and you know did it from the end of the 2013 season till summer of 2016 so uh it was the jets are never boring or dull that's for sure so it was, it was it was quite an experience and i learned a lot there i learned about you know a lot about the nfl that i didn't know and just developed uh relationships with sources and, and, and things and that I, I then when i left and, and went back to deadspin i was kind of the nfl guy you know but able to do it with sort of the deadspin style, which, which really had a lot of appeal to me. And, and uh, you know, so that, that, that's kind of how that all worked out. But it was, the Jets is quite a, quite a thing, <laughs> for sure. Yes, they are. Was uh, what you just mentioned, being able to write NFL with a deadspin style, a large part of the reason why you decided to go back? Um, yes. Well, I, I quit for a while. So I, I, was, I was sort of doing freelance for about six months just because I, I felt I needed to leave at the, you know, where I was, but, uh, it was, I, I guess I, I ideally wanted to go back to Deadspin anyway. Mm. And it just, you know, when they had the, when, when Tim Marchman had the opportunity, uh, after a few, he told me, you know, pretty much like waiting on budgets. This, this is like right after Gawker got murdered. And so it was, it was a tense time at the company, but he was hoping the budget would free up after the year. So I, I kind of freelanced for them for a bit and then came back on a full-time basis and it's really where I wanted to be doing exactly what I wanted to be doing like I felt like I had made it by then so nothing quite like that feeling right yes yes now I have to earn my salary so stay tuned for more press pass after this and so obviously your last stint to deadspin did not end exactly as the way that I'm sure you imagined uh after (laughs) that's an understatement (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I was even to say the least. With all that that happened, I mean, when was the first time that you kind of felt an inkling that leaving might be like a very legitimate possibility for yourself and your coworkers? Uh, it was really when Barry was fired. Like that moment 
Um, you know, the, there were stories done at the time and they were all pretty accurate. It was that, you know, we, we immediately left the office and went downstairs to Planet Hollywood to drown our sorrows. And, you know, none of us wanted to write another word for the, the site again. But, you know, I'm married with a, a, a now six-year-old son. You know, they're, they're, you know the health insurance is a concern. You know, so it wasn't like I made a snap decision. Some of the other, some of the other younger staffers, you know, made a pretty quick decision. I waited maybe a day or two, talked it over with my wife, but I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to work there. I couldn't work there really. Um, just given what had been built you know, it was something they'd been building for quite a while. Megan Greenwell had gone through quite a bit that summer. Mm-hmm. They, 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 uh, they killed Splinter, you know, I mean, they, they had fired Tim Marchman and, uh, and, and, and Cash Hill, uh, early on, you know, um, so it was, it was, there were clear signs of, of trouble, but, but Barry's firing was really, really what clinched it. I mean, uh, I love the guy. I, you know, just, you know, he was, he, he had been there longer than anyone. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, he edited a lot of my stuff the second time I was there and just, uh, just an, an incredible, incredibly smart editor and a, and a great person. Everyone there was just great to work with. They're all great people. Um, and so that was, it was all very hard because we all, what I loved about working there was that everyone really was invested in making that site as good as it could be every day. And that's through every, I was there through different iterations and that, that kind of ethos never really changed which was cool to see when I came back that, 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 you know, that, that idea didn't really change. The site had changed in a lot of ways, but, but that, uh, that didn't. And so when they do that to Barry, it's, you know, that, that was it really. Uh, that makes complete sense. And then how long did it take you from when you decided to quit Deadspin to end up at the score? Well, uh, not long. I would, uh, the score had called me, um, you know, they, 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 uh, I had actually talked to them before I left um, and things there was mutual interest, but things didn't work out. I was happy at that. Spin. I didn't want to leave. Uh, but, but uh, Rory bars, the editorial director had reached out to me because they needed an NFL writer and it, it was appealing, but I didn't want to leave. And then after the quit happened, after we all quit, um, he reached out again, they still hadn't filled the job. And so I, I, it was very serendipitous. I kind of bounced right into something else a month later. You know, I think I was out of I think I was out of work for maybe four weeks, and then I was back. I, I had started with the score December second of last year, uh, so it was it was a, I, I was very fortunate in that regard that I it wasn't like I had it in my pocket, but I you know to Rory's credit, he reached out again, and the time the timing for both of us at that point was good. So, yeah, Absolutely. and obviously the tone of Deadspin was unlike any other website on the web as it were. So, I mean, what kind of mental adjust, obviously this isn't the first time you've had to adjust from going from like a dead spin writing style to yeah. something else. But I mean, as far as, you know, that quick of a transition, kind of what were your mental gymnastics you had to do in order to kind of shift back into like more traditional writing style than for what that has been offered? You know, it, 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 I still can do some of it. Um, it's just not maybe as for like, you know, part of the appeal in coming to the score was that they wanted me to be me. And so I, I still try to, you know, write with a similar tone. It's just that I guess some of it, it's much more of a nuts and bolts NFL thing, but I was doing a lot of that at Deadspin anyway. So, I, you know, I, it wasn't like, you know, I might write something where I'm taking a shot at Roger Goodell in a way that Deadspin, but I, you know, I can still, I'm, I'm still doing some of that here, but I also might do a, might've done a film breakdown of, of, an, of an NFL team kind of thing, or, you know, and getting into the analytics and that, and I'm doing it here. 
a lot of it is really the same. And I can use a lot of the same tone. And that was, you know, to, to their credit at the score, um, you know, they, 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 they wanted me to be me really from, from day one. And I, I've gotten the opportunity to write a lot of the things that I've, I've wanted to do. And, and, and uh, everyone there is super to work with as well. So I consider myself really fortunate. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting thing that you said about nuts, the nuts and bolts aspect, kind of that like specific, very particular football breakdown kind of thing that really only exists in like a certain sphere of sports media because broad, it's not really made for broader audiences. Mm-hmm. Even ESPN or stuff like The Athletic does a lot of really in-depth stuff like that, but like ESPN and other big name sites don't really get into that nitty gritty as much as you are, you, for example, are afforded. So, I mean, and it sounds like this is like you did a little bit of that at that spin, maybe. Yeah, 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 I did. So yeah. it was, you know, it wasn't everything. I mean, it, but you know, during the NFL season, I'd probably do more of that than anything else. And then in the off season, there was more freedom to do other things. But yeah. I mean, you know, but I was also just, and, and even now, I, you know, I can still focus on labor issues, um, you know, that kind of thing as well. I've written some of that here. It's just that in season now, there's a, there's a bit more of a demand for football and you know and and that's just the nature of kind of what the score does but in the off season and when the you know the nfl had this cba situation in the spring i wrote quite a bit about that the, the covid protocol stuff um you know and i can still take a, a shot at the, at the at the league or or, or at the, a person in position of power if i want to i i haven't i have not been told i couldn't do that and and i've done it it's just that it, it's much more football focused on a day-to-day basis at this time of year at least yeah that makes total sense and i was just going to ask you obviously i think i know the answer but you like the like football breakdown stuff that's something that you sure. yeah, you yeah i mean and this gets back to um you know football it, it's been a, the last five six seven years has really been a a great time to, to to read about football because for years it was not it was not well understood. I think, you know, a lot of people were fans, but you follow the ball and you didn't really understand what was happening with the 22 guys on the field and, the, and whatever the decisions the coaches were making. And a lot of the analysis was very surfacy. Um, and I think just in, across the board, you mentioned the athletic, the SBN, SB Nation, you know, a lot of these play, football outsiders, you know, a lot of these places um, are doing this, 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 broader, deeper analysis that really, uh, I think, is, is interesting to read about and learn about because I think it's a, it's a game that's not very well understood and demystifying it like that, uh, you know, makes for better reading, at least to me, um, as a fan and as, a, as someone who, who enjoys reading about the sport as well. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And now just with the benefit of almost a year's worth of hindsight, how have you enjoyed your time at the score? I like it. No, no, no. It, it, it's, it, you know, like I said earlier, I'm, I'm fortunate. There's some, there's great people there. I think it's a, the, 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 it's a great product. You know, the app is kind of easy to use. It's got a great interface, all of that. And, uh, um, but you know, the biggest thing for me is just having with, with these COVID times and having a family, you know, there's, there's some flexibility built into what I get to do. And that's just a credit to Guy Spurrier, my, my direct report. And, and Rory, you know, going up the chain, um, I'm sounding like an ass kisser right now, but really, I, you know, I, working at a place where with, with, you know, having worked in places where management has not been so nice and working at places where it has makes a big difference on a day-to-day basis. And so for me, in terms of what I do, I've got no complaints on that score whatsoever. The people are really terrific 
and you know, it, it, the people I work with, you know, the, a lot of the, the, the people that do the other, particularly the feature writers do a really good job. There's, there's good editing and all of that too. So it's, uh, it, I, I, I'm, I, I, like I said earlier, I, I'm lucky. I really am that, that, that I bounced into this uh, after what had happened last, you know, last year with the Deadspin. Definitely. Well, that's what this industry is, is uh, opportunity and luck more than almost anything. Unfortunately, yeah. Really, yeah. You know. And the last media question, media related question I have for you is, uh, and I'm sure I already know what your th thoughts are on it, but what do you think of Defector? I like it. Yeah, you know, of course. I yeah. might imagine. What, I'm sorry? Day one subscriber, I'd imagine. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean, immediate uh, $99 here, you know, kind of thing, for sure. Yeah. No, it's great to see them doing what they do because, uh, you know, I was, I, was a, I was always a big Deadspin fan, you know, even before I began working there, the, the, the three years in between when I was gone, I loved reading the site. And so it's great to have, it's great to see those voices. It's great to see a lot of the stuff that they're, they're doing. Um, it's always thought provoking and, 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 and funny and, and yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a fan for sure. I'm my, my t-shirt that I got too. You, know? <laughs> so, you got uh, the elite package. Yes. Yes. So yeah, big fan, no doubt. Proud, proud of everyone over there too. I mean, these are people that I, uh, you know, we, we had quite an experience last year at the end of that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm glad that they've, they're doing their own thing. Tom Lay, who's someone I didn't mention as well, but you know, he's now in charge. Uh, um, I hadn't mentioned him earlier, but just, you know, everyone over the Diana Moskovitz, everybody, you know, it's, uh, um, I'm just glad to see they're doing what they're doing and doing it their way. Uh, because I know how important that was to us before and just, I, I wish them nothing but the best and I'm, I'm rooting for them and I love reading the site. Absolutely. I completely agree. It was very, uh, gave me a good feeling to see them manage to rebound yeah. after all that, yeah. start up their own gig, just, you know, maybe not pull themselves up by their bootstraps, but that general, general sentiment, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. It was, it was, there was a place that could make something like that work. It, it, that might be it because it, one thing, Deadspin had a very loyal readership uh yeah. that has migrated over there with them and, and that's that's really great to see and i hope they can keep growing um and staying you know staying strong for sure it'll certainly be an interesting uh experiment as far as to see kind of whether or yeah. not that sort of subscription-based model with the content that they're offering can succeed so far so good so far yeah. Smooth sailing, and they have you know the numbers are all good and that stuff, but it's not you know your traditional sports offering, and then which is fine, right. you don't have to pay for it, but then when you do have to pay for it, you really need to know what you're getting into, and not right maybe even like most casual sports fans wouldn't know what they're getting into. But like I said, so far, so good, really excited to see how it plays out. Yeah, yeah, me too, you know. Um, but yeah, I think the whole industry is kind of figuring out what what sort of model works best. So this, this, is, this will be an interesting, uh, interesting thing to watch for sure, but I'm rooting for it. Likewise. Absolutely. Of course. Anyway, Dom, appreciate that very lengthy discussion about your career, but now we'll move on a little bit to just some general NFL stuff. The NFL sure. yesterday had yet another COVID debacle where Des Bryant was yanked from the sideline after testing positive. And it is so confusing to me that the NFL refuses to be flexible when it comes to the scheduling of the games, as far as their just apparent complete inability to create a week 18. Like it seems like week 18 would solve pretty much all of their problems here. So what are your thoughts on all that? Well, I wrote about this last week, but it, it, it's basically that I, they're married to the idea of getting this done in 17 weeks. And they, to the point where Goodell had put out a memo in October stating that. And I think unless there's a, I, I don't know what it would take. They never, you know, 
when the, when the protocols, when the, the players union insisted that there be protocols put in place and they've got testing, daily testing and all these things, but there was never a threshold for what would constitute a forfeit or a postponement out of the week, that kind of thing. And to me, it was really self-serving on the league's part to have the Broncos take the field without a, 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 a quarter, you know, with a practice squad wide out playing quarterback and for the Ravens to basically field their freshman team last Wednesday afternoon against the Steelers. Um, I, I think that was indicative of what the league's priorities are. So I, I don't know why, you know, I don't know what it would take um, because they, yes, they, they set up expanded rosters to be able to compensate for this, but, you know, as a consumer, as a fan, I'd, I, I, I would have wanted to see the, to have seen the Ravens at full strength going against the Steelers and not with, you know, 15 or 20 guys, whatever it was, including their, their quarterbacks and half of their offense, uh, you know, not playing. So I, I don't know, you know, I, but I, I think the league is determined to get this done. They want to keep the Super Bowl on, you know, where it is. I think they, they, they want to appease the networks, um, you know, with the ad inventory that's probably been sold. All, it's money that's driving this without a doubt. But I don't know. I don't know. They never stated what the threshold would be to, to force a forfeit or a, a week 18. And so I think as long as they can get by, they figure, well, fans are going to watch it anyway. No matter what, what the product looks like, we'll just get through it. Um, and I don't know that that's the best thing, not only for, 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 for fans, but also for the, the health and safety of players. Is it safe to have Kendall Hilton starting a quarterback for the Denver Broncos against the Saints? I don't think so. You know, I mean, uh, it, that could have been a lot worse than it was, uh, you know. So, um, I don't know, you know. That, 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 yeah, I don't think any of it's just, it's just, it's frustrating because it's, you know, it's the, they say it's about the health and safety of the players, obviously. It isn't entirely about that. And yeah. a lot of it's money. And you were talking about how they're, like, the way that they're trying to appease the networks and all that. But that's almost as what's, like, most confusing to me is that the viewers would prefer to see teams at full strengths. And, mm -hmm. if, they, and if they, you know, move the game from one week to another week. It's not like they're going to take it away from whatever individual network that holds the rights to that game. So if the game is going to be showed anyway and all the ad inventory is going to be played, what difference ultimately does it make which week it's played? And I'm sure there are a lot of complicated fine line contract stuff that I'm not aware right. of. Right. I think they want to keep the playoffs and the Super Bowl on schedule, you yeah. know, for, for whatever their, you know, whatever logistics are involved with that. But it, but it, it's definitely a, a money decision and, and it, you know, that, that, that's driving it. Um, and I think I said Kendall Hilton. I meant to say Kendall Hinton. Hinton. So, yeah. Hilton. Yeah. Uh, yeah. If, I, if I got that wrong, I apologize. I don't remember what I said, but I feel like I got it Sorry wrong. to Kendall Hinton, who is one of the regular listeners of the Press Pass podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, and on the other side of general football things, obviously the big story of the week right now is Carson Wentz getting benched for Jalen Hurts. Now, Jalen Hurts looked okay against the Packers. The Eagles' offensive line is also Swiss cheese. There's damn, the receivers are bad. Not really sure what's going to happen with Hurts. But in a future where, let's say, that he plays well enough that the Eagles decide to move on from Wentz as soon as they can, with that contract and the dead cap numbers that's attached to it, do you see a realistic scenario where he's traded this offseason? Unless the Eagles want to eat a significant amount of that money that they owe to him, I, I don't. You know, I think they're stuck with him at least for another year, maybe two, just be, be, because of the way that dead money is going to play out. Um, they would have to eat a significant amount of that, you know, in a, you know, and who knows what, how that would eat into whatever return they're going to get. So I don't know what it, whether they're ready to give up on them totally either. I mean, perhaps they, they made this decision to go to Hertz because they're 
three, eight, and one at this point, and they've got you know the Giants and Washington keep winning, and so they you know the, the division race, as sad as it was, is probably out of reach for them at this point. Yeah. They may as well see what Hurts has. Uh, but you know, and you mentioned all of those factors around Wentz that have gone wrong for them this year, but it, it's also pretty clear that Wentz is not the quarterback that they drafted, nor is he the quarterback that they they gave this contract to 18 months ago. Um, there, there are real problems. And I, it's, it's, what's, what's fascinating is that it's really uncharted territory. I mean, we haven't had a scenario where, you know, quarterbacks have gotten paid and they're not good before, but not, not where it's a top of the market kind of long-term deal for a guy who's been in the league for four or five years already. You know, I mean, you've had rookies that were drafted high and, and were busts. You had certain free agents that get signed, you know, like a Mike Lennon type thing, but Mike Lennon was never that good. You know, Wentz was, you know, a prospect. The Eagles invested a lot in, 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 in draft picks to, at the time they picked him. And then three, four years into his career, they, they felt that he was, he was the guy, you know, and, and kept him over Nick Foles and paid him. So it's, it, it's hard to say what they're going to do because no team has really encountered a situation like this. It's a very unique situation. I'll be fascinated to see too, if it, whether it affects the, the quarterback market going forward as well in terms of what quarterbacks are going to get paid uh in the future i I don't know that it will but also you know the cap's going to be going down here the next couple of years that kind of thing um you know and how how deals might get structured and that it'd be something i'd like to talk to 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 an expert about more but you know those are just kind of things that that i'm thinking about with how this plays out but I, i i don't know that there's any easy solution for the eagles here at all yeah, I think the contract structure is the most interesting part of it, like you said, because the Eagles are so fancy with all their financial cap wizardry and all that stuff. It feels like they've been up against the cap cap ceiling for like four years in a row at this point, and they still managed to find a way to sign guys or whatever. But, I mean, Wentz's contract was interesting because he has like, a, I think it's like a $72 million dead cap hit this year, which is yeah. obscene. Like, that yeah. is higher than most of the contracts in the NFL outright. And so, like you said, like teams are going to kind of look at this and be like, okay, maybe we should be careful about loading up our dead money on this guy because if he sucks and we can't get rid of him, then that's a quarter of our cap gone just for somebody. But but quarterbacks have leverage. You know, good quarterback who's proven himself in this league is always going to have a lot more leverage than than other players. And so that's why they get these kind of deals and why their their contracts, you know, eat up a percentage of the cap as big as as they do. Um, but with the cap coming down, you know, at least next year and, and, and who knows how long in the, in the future because revenues are down, that'll, that'll be a, an interesting dynamic to watch play out. But, uh, you know, he's got a $15 million trigger for his 2022 contract. You know, it triggers a guarantee for 2022. So it, 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 they've got a, a big problem here that's a, that's a couple of years out, and I don't know how they get out of it unless – they trade him and, and, and eat a lot of that money, which teams can do. You know, maybe you trade, you pull a kind of thing like the Browns did with Brock Osweiler, Brock Osweiler a few years ago, and you, you trade that money in some way. But this, this contract is much bigger than Osweiler's was, uh, you know, at the time in Houston. So, uh, but I, maybe there's something like that that can be done. I don't know, but they, it's because of the size of that deal and the size of the, 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 the crap they'd have to eat for it uh, really makes it an extraordinary circumstance. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely fascinating to watch unfold. And I thank God I'm not a Philadelphia Eagle fan every single day. <laughs> <laughs> they're only three years removed from the Super Bowl, though, so they, you know, they, they can't complain yet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they get, it's another five or so years at the least. five-year rule. You get a five-year rule. <laughs> exactly.
You can't complain within five years, really. Be right back with more gold after a word from our sponsors. The last big story of the week here was the Pittsburgh Steelers dropping their first game of the year. You're a Pittsburgh guy. How uh, valid do you see their Super Bowl chances? I never really thought they were, you know, a legit undefeated team contender just because I felt the offense wasn't that great and their strength of schedule was absolutely horrid. But let's hear you. What were your, what are your thoughts? You know, they, the offense is – it could be better. Um, I, I think that these last two games, Baltimore and Washington, have, have played, you know, a lot of what the Steelers have been doing is when Roethlisberger just get, getting rid of the ball quickly to his receiver, a lot of those speedy receivers in space, and that's been harder to do because Baltimore and Washington have gone zone and brought their safeties up and just made it difficult, you know, for this for any yards after the catch or even difficult to make completions. And the Washington's got a very good defensive line that if Roethlisberger had to hold for his second or third read, he's got someone in his face or someone knocking the ball down. They don't really need to run the ball. You know, I, I think 30 times a game that they, they, they could be better at it, just situationally, which would help. But the offense was kind of – they found a way in, in a lot of those other games. When they beat Tennessee and when they beat Baltimore the first time and when they beat Dallas, they kind of went no huddle, spread, played with tempo, and it was – they were much more efficient and able to to come back and win those games, mm-hmm. um, which is it's. But they've got they they don't do that all the time. They've gotten away from some of the jet jet sweep stuff. The defense, I think, is going to be hurt by the fact that Bud Dupree is out for sure. Um, so, you know, they're a playoff team. Are they good enough to beat the Chiefs? I I I, I had always had my doubts about that even before they lost the other day. So, you know. They were probably better than not. They were probably not as good as their eleven and zero record indicated, mm-hmm. but they're still one of the better teams in what is really a wide open uh, Super Bowl race this year. I mean, I don't know that you know from one week to the next, uh, you know, a favorite can can be up or down. The Saints, the Packers, and the Chiefs certainly look better than everybody right now. Um, but the Steelers, when they're on, um, you know, if they have a good day against one of those teams, um, you know, could could make some noise too. So. I, I wouldn't count them out just yet, but yeah, there are reasons to be doubtful about particularly their offensive performance and now some of the injuries they've got on defense. Yeah, like you said, any given Sunday, but if they don't lose any more pieces, that defense is still fierce enough to do basically whatever they want to any opposing offenses. I mean, TJ Watt has been having an absolutely monstrous. Yeah, he, he's been terrific. And, you know, and even, you know, I was worried when Devin Bush went down because it, it's been an issue for them for a long time with linebackers in coverage, but they, you know, Robert Spillane played well. They just, they schemed things differently to, to account for, for, for Bush's absence. And, and the fact that they're with Dupree and Watt and that defensive line, they're able to get so much pressure all the time, you know, that, that it really helped them on the back end as well. They've got a tough stretch here though, to end the season with Buffalo on the road. They go to Cincinnati, which is never easy, even though the Bengals might be bad. Um, you know, it's a place they've lost in the past. You know, and then they've got Indy at home and at Cleveland. So, you know, three or three of their toughest games here uh, still to come. But, uh, again, I, 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 this isn't a league where it feels like there's a, a truly dominant team. The Chiefs might be that, um, you know, but they, they can look vulnerable too, uh, as they did against Denver the other night. And the Raiders, you know, almost beat them twice. So, you know, anything can happen. But, yeah, the Steelers certainly – I think it had been building to where a good defense was going to 
was going to lock down on them and beat them and, 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 and shock them like that. And that's what happened on, on Monday afternoon. Yeah, definitely. It's, it is, yeah, it's a little bit more of a fun NFL season this year with how wide open it is. Cause I mean, very wide open. Yeah. As yeah, Tom Brady and the Patriots, you're like, well, that's one of the championship game slots done and dead and gone, but now it's right. right. No idea what's going to happen. Yeah. You know, and getting that, there's a one buy in each conference now. And so that, you know, that, that that's going to factor into how this plays out as well. But uh, the Steelers still have the tiebreaker. I mean, if we're the season ended now, they'd still be the one seed in the AFC and get that buy in the first round, um, which, you know, would be, would be huge for them. But uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how they bounce back going up against a, a Buffalo team. that's really with Josh Allen, really playing well. They're really well coached on both sides. And, you know, Buffalo, again, is another place that it was always tough for the Steelers to win up there. I know there's no fans, but, uh, you know, just historically, that's, that's been a tough game whenever they've had to go up there. And it's going to be third week in December. so it might Exactly. Be yeah, not a nice time of year either. Yeah. Which, you know, the Steelers are a little bit used to, but there's nothing quite like Buffalo in December. Yeah, at night. You know. At night on top yeah. of all that. That's yeah. going to be uh, – Bill's Mafia is devastated they can't be there, but he <laughs> already know. Yeah. All right, well, that's some good good NFL talk there. We'll move on to the last part of the podcast here, which are just some more fun questions. Uh, so I asked you kind of a little bit about your favorite thing that you worked on while you were at Deadspin. And now looking back upon your entire career, is there any particular piece that you personally wrote that you really feel a strong connection to or are proud of for any reason? Oh, boy. Uh, I got to think about that. That's, uh... Take your time. Yeah, I guess there was there was a a concussion settlement story where I, I spoke to the daughter of a, a player who was just having difficulty navigating that, and she was very forthright and turned over a lot of documents and that kind of thing. And it you know it was a difficult story to write, but uh, um, just with the family's cooperation, I was able to to kind of pull it together and just really felt proud of how that turned out. And it was also just an important kind of story I don't you know I'm not one to like pat myself on the back about doing good deeds but uh you know it just felt it just seemed like an important thing to to, to get out there um and so that, that's one that stands out to me that was only like two years ago like two and a half years ago when I wrote that one so that that's one that, that, that stands out for sure I also um I wrote a college basketball story for the Wall Street Journal a few years ago and just to have my byline in the Wall Street Journal was kind of cool so extremely cool. The, old news, the, news, the newspaper guy in me, you know, uh, was, was, was pretty proud about that. It's about the Big East, and, uh, which I grew up watching. And, and, and I wrote about how it's changed and that kind of thing. And that, that's another one. Just, that's more just a vain kind of uh, uh, feeling that I have about things. No. And, and, yeah. wicked, wicked awesome to see your name in the Wall Street Journal. I mean, yeah. that, you know, I don't think that would ever get old, personally. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, and then on the other, kind of the other side of it, has there been any individual that you've interviewed over the course of your career who stands out as your favorite for any reason at all? Ooh, that's tough too. Um, again, though, I'd have to say, you know, when I covered the Jets, Pepper Johnson was their defensive line coach, and he had been with Belichick for years, going back to the time when Pepper was a linebacker for the Giants, and, and Belichick was a, de a defensive coordinator there, and then he he was with him pretty much from the beginning of the the, the Patriots uh, championship run in the early 2000s, and then left around 2013, 2014. Came to the Jets, and he was he did not like talking to the media when he was with the Jets. I mean, you could see he he had his he still had his Bel he, he took his Belichick training 
seriously. But then about two years ago, uh, I got him on the phone for something and we ended up talking for four hours and he told me everything. And I'll never forget that. <laughs> and I wrote something. It ended up being a Q. I ran it as a Q&A because I remember talking to Barry like I have so much here. I don't know how the hell I'm going to write this. And so I took kind of the best parts of it and turned it into a lengthy, lengthy Q&A with Pepper where he dished on Belichick. He dished on Parcells. He dished on, you know, the Jets fired him after two years and he, he kind of dished on Todd Bowles and what, ha what, really, what really happened there, at least from his perspective. Um, and it was really like, I, I, like I could have been on the phone with him longer. It just was one of those, you never, you kind of make the phone call. You know, one thing you always learn is make the extra phone call. Well, that was one. I just reached out and again, didn't, figured he was going to stonewall me and I'd get nothing, but it, it ended up being a, a four hour conversation that, uh, that, that turned into quite a rollicking Q and A. So yeah, I that's, that's one that stands out to me for sure. Yeah. I didn't know football guys could talk that long. Yeah, you know, uh, like I said, I, the Jets used to make him like make the assistant coaches available on a very rarely. And when he, at least when I was around, the year I was around that he was around, he didn't like talking to the media at all and gave you nothing. I mean, just you know, a waste of everyone's time. So I, I didn't know what to expect, but uh, I certainly didn't expect to get what I got out of that interview because it was great. Definitely. That was a good dude. So. From all reports, it sounds like and if he's willing to talk to any reporter for four hours <laughs> on basically unprompted, then I think yeah. he's a plus dude. <laughs> and I mean, yeah, and he, uh, you know, he, he knew he was he knew he was on the record. He didn't. He never. He, he never. You know, he, he's also been around long enough to know that that uh, any of this was going to get used. But uh, he, he gave me a lot. It was that, that it was it was fun and unexpected. No accusations of misquoting based on use of ellipses. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> right, no. Uh, what's something about your job as, you know, an NFL's feature writer for the score that you feel like other people don't really know or they might not understand? Ooh. Um, I, I, I think just in general, the, the access I think people think you have is like unlimited that like, you know, Oh, you, you, so you probably talk to Aaron Rodgers like every day. And it's like, no, it's not, not quite like that. You know, I think, I think, and, and I think this goes back to, I think anyone who covers sports just thinks that you're sitting there, it's playtime, you know, yeah. and, and, and really you're, you're, you're writing about a game and a sport, um, but that there's, there's not much understanding of, you know, that it's work. I mean, I'm not, look, I'm not putting my saying that I'm, what I do is, is, is like digging ditches or, or, or doing, you know, anything like that, but that, you know, you've got to, you got to be mentally ready to do the job and that, that kind of thing. So I think that's the biggest thing is that it's not just like, oh, I, I sit in front of the TV on Sunday with red zone on and just drink beer all day because you can't really do, do the job that way. So, you know, it, uh, at least not the, with what I have to do now, you know, it's not really like that. So that, I think that's, it's not like being there as a game, at a game as a fan or watching it like a fan watches it, I think would be one of the bigger misconceptions. Yes, it is definitely entirely different. Watching yeah. football all day without anything to worry about is very enjoyable, but also yeah. watching football all day and having to take extensive notes on every game is not yeah. really, you know. That and right cool. on deadline is it's stressful. I mean, again, it's not. I'm not saying that it's like I'm doing physical labor or anything. You know, I don't. I don't want to compare it to that, but it it is. It can get stressful. You know, just as any job can get stressful um, in its own way. 
Certainly. And that answer might lead into my final question for you, which is what is it about this job or even this industry that you wish you knew back when you were just coming out of the video conferencing oh job and really just looking to make, break your way in? Uh, probably that it would be this broken 20 years later. I mean, that it would be this, there'd be this much uncertainty. Um, you know, the internet was coming, um, and, 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 you know, a lot of newspapers had websites at the time, you know, they were very primitive in a way, but I, you know, print still rent, ruled everything when I came into the business and, and, you know, in terms of the ad revenue and how that was done, but I, just the way the, the internet had, and then social media was a whole other change, you know, when, when Twitter, Twitter really changed so much uh, of how the job was done, you know, even prior to that with the internet being around and blogs being around, but then when you get to the immediacy of, 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 of a medium like Twitter, um, and then the re, sort of the rapid fire reaction where, you know, instead of getting a, a letter written to you at the newspaper office in, by hand, you're getting some, you know, moron on Twitter telling you to, you know, get fucked or whatever, if, you know, like just because, you know, you might get inundated with stuff like that. And it's, it's quite a shift. Just the, how substantially it's changed and then, and what its future is now. Cause I still think, uh, I still have no idea what the future holds and, and what that means. And I'm, I'm grateful to, to, to still be doing it and, and, and hope to do it for as long as I can. But I, you know, just the way the industry is and the uncertainty of it, I don't know how long that'll be. And so I, you know, if I had known that maybe I had to done something, I had to become a lawyer or something. Like that. Um, but I've, I've enjoyed it. I've been, you know, I've enjoyed a, a lot of what I've done. I've enjoyed a lot of the people I've worked with and been fortunate to, 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 you know, see and do a lot of uh, great things. So that, that makes it all worthwhile. And, you know, uh, knowing that people read it, I, I still, you know, I'm, I don't know what, like just anytime I hear from a reader with a positive comment or just, or just even acknowledging they read something still kind of takes me back, you know, because like just telling somebody something they didn't know will always be pretty neat. And so it's all worth it for that. Um, I, you know, you didn't, you know, I didn't get into this to, to become rich or uh, become a star or any of that stuff. I, I enjoy the work. I enjoy the day-to-day -day stuff. I enjoy seeing my work and, and just knowing that, that somebody might learn something from it. It's kind of cool. And that's, that's what drives it. But I, yeah, I, I, I wish I had known a lot about, you know, I wish I could have seen 20 years ago what it was going to be like today though, for sure. Yeah, being able to tell the future and know just when Twitter was going to take over as the medium of the day would have, or the century yeah. would have been. That was the big, that was the big change. I mean, blogs and the internet were one thing, and that was a, certainly a threat to newspapers at the time, but the immediacy of Twitter, you know, flattened even that, you know, it flattened it all that much further. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll see. I, I you know, I, I, I don't know where we go from here, but uh, like I said, I'm, I'm grateful to still be doing it and I'll, I'll, I hope to keep doing it for as long as I can. Definitely. Well, Dom, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your varied experiences as a writer and journalist all over, over these years. And I appreciate you being uh, really honest and you know thorough with all of your answers. And thank you again for coming on the Press Pass Podcast. You're welcome, man. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's fun. Absolutely. And thank you, listener, as always, for tuning in. I'm your host, Lee McEwen, signing off.